0: Welcome to our series of podcasts to support our Senior Mental Health League community, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. In our Mental Health and Wellbeing podcast, experts talk candidly about their findings, experiences and share their stories. This podcast support is designed to help you bring about whole school positive change to prioritise mental health and wellbeing enabling you to take your colleagues and school community along the journey as well. Welcome back to our series of podcasts on trauma informed practice brought to you by Connex Academy as an approved provider of the fully funded senior mental health training. We are acutely aware of the challenges young people are facing with their mental health and the challenges schools are facing supporting students with this. Some of the topics we are discussing in this podcast may be distressing or cause triggers. Please take time out and seek support if you're affected by any of the content today. Andy Bridge, a deputy headteacher, and Debbie Davis, headteacher and SENCO, return to discuss our fifth podcast. Last week, we looked at the impact of trauma on the brain, and today we're exploring in more detail the concepts of the freeze, flop, friend, fight-or-flight reactions, or the five Fs. Debbie, we've probably all heard of the phrase fight-or-flight before, but this has a few more parts. Can you explain to us what the uh, the five Fs' response is?
1: Morning, Georgie. A- absolutely. Uh, they're they're all immediate, automatic and instinctive responses to fear. You're right that the two of these that we hear most about is fight-or-flight, And that's when somebody finds themselves in a threatening situation and their body either responds with physical fighting, a violent outburst or alternatively flight, which is literally running, backing away and putting distance between yourself and the threat. However, despite not being spoken about as often, the other three responses are very common too. So to freeze means to go absolutely still, rigid and silent. Um, in nature, we see animals doing this when, when they're in danger by playing dead. Flop is similar, but the muscles loosen and the whole body becomes floppy. T- to give you an, an, an example of that, if someone's experienced a, a sexual attack, they they may go into flop so their body doesn't become harmed because their body is floppy and loosey and, and, and loosened. Uh, this is an automatic reaction to try to reduce the impact of pain. And finally, friend it can be interpreted in two ways, either calling out for help from somebody or alternative trying to befriend the potential threat or attacker by negotiating and, and pleading or begging. Has that, that been helpful? Yeah, yeah, that makes a
0: lot of sense. And um, I think we've probably all seen or heard people responding in these ways now they've, they've been explained. So, Andy, how does this link to children who have had adverse childhood experiences or trauma?
2: Hi, Georgie. Um, well, I guess last time we talked about how the brain changes as a result of experiencing trauma. and And we know that the memory of a traumatic event or multiple events can become so heightened that if our brain recognises any similarity at all between the situation that we're in now and the situation that we were in at the time of trauma, it can trigger one of those responses. So, for example, if a child's experienced domestic violence, any future incident where there's any sign of aggression could trigger one of those involuntary responses. And, and that trigger could be anything. It could be a colour, a smell, a noise, a particular phrase, um, and obviously, if children have had exposure to those situations, they might be triggered into one of those responses in a situation that isn't actually threatening. It isn't, They're not actually in any real danger, but their brain has been programmed to respond in that way to try and protect themselves.
0: So it's almost an inbuilt reaction. Yeah. So in large, busy, noisy environments like schools, these responses could probably be presumably triggered quite often. How how can we help students that are facing these situations?
1: Well, the first thing we can do is try to limit exposure to situations that might cause the response. And I know Andy re- re- referred to this earlier about knowing the triggers. So if you know the triggers of a child, don't put them in situations where the, these triggers are going to be uh, there for them to to feel the trauma. Um, keep shouting to a minimum and promoting a calm, peaceful environment that, that, can, that can really help. The word pause, I just loved how, how we mentioned that. Pause before you react. Think about why this child might be reacting in the way that they are. And being aware of any particular tr- triggers specific children may face uh, can be helpful in preventing these situations uh, too. And, and a risk assessment can be implemented to try and keep them safe. Um, if they do enter one of these responses, if a child goes into freeze, flop, friend, flight or fight reactions, one useful approach can be using grounding techniques. Uh, these can be practiced regularly with a child to help them feel calm, connected to their environment. Um, you can you can look at many grounding techniques and. Um, And and apply them in schools. Sometimes you see them on the back of a a toilet door, where the child might have just gone into the to the to this area just to get a bit of a breather. And on the back of the door, you've got your grounding techniques that are really helpful, and they're techniques that can help people to refocus their mind from unwanted memories and distressing thoughts or overwhelming feelings. There is another point that I would make here: if the child does understand their brain, how their brain works when we go into these five areas of response, you may be in a situation where you can help them a little more. So, in a nutshell, without going into all the scientific um, detail, the brain has two parts, an upper brain and a lower brain. And the lower brain is, is, well, I call it the caveman brain when I'm talking to children. And the caveman brain is the the part of the brain that keeps you alive no matter what is happening that brain is going to kick in and it's going to take over and it's going to keep you alive and you will uh, flee you will fight you will flop you will freeze and you will try and friend so what that what happens then is when that brain kicks in the lower brain it doesn't talk to the upper brain where it's that we've got your rational thoughts that brain is switched off so when children know that they're caveman brain is starting to to take over they can start to use techniques to help them to think about where they are and and start to regulate better if that makes sense that sounds really powerful actually debbie
0: yeah it definitely makes a lot of sense so andy can you can you give us some more examples around
2: that Uh, yeah in terms of grounding strategies so it could be something as simple and straightforward as um getting the child to try and concentrate on a mental task like asking them to recite the times tables or saying the alphabet backwards, something that's really going to hold their kind of mind and their attention. You know, it might be a calming image that they try and create in their mind. Um, some students find it useful to try and have some kind of visualisation, so imagining their emotions as like a dial um, and physically turning down that dial on their emotions in their mind can just help to calm them in that situation. Or, you know, other children like to visualise a calm place, what's their safe space and get a really clear image of that in their head. Other people prefer a more physical response. So um, some children report it's been helped with, they carry a small object like, um, you know, a small pebble or something in their pocket that they can just touch whenever they're feeling overwhelmed, like they're tensing. Um, You know, just having that physical contact can help them or even physically touching the ground or digging your heels into the ground to just kind of feel the weight of your body. I think, I guess it's important to remember that um, you just need to find the right technique for each child. So many of them won't work, but there will be something that does work for that child. It's, It's just a process of elimination and finding out which best supports them.
0: So I know that you've worked in specialist provisions, Debbie, for children who've experienced trauma have you seen all of these responses? I, I imagine it's very intense working in that kind of environment.
1: I have seen all these these responses and, you know, it, it is in, intense at times and it's also very rewarding. And when you see the, the children mending because of what you've put in place, it, it, it really is good to know that you've played a part in helping a child on the journey. So in in terms of fight, I think we've mentioned it earlier, you might have a situation where a child's coming to school that morning and already they're in fight mode before they even get through the door because of what they've seen the night before or something's triggered them. Um, and if they're already in fight, then that th- they're at that heightened state already. And you might not have done anything at all. You might not have even spoken. You might not have said a word, but they might be rude and aggressive towards you. They, they might be a bit physical towards you. Um, and we just have to understand that behaviours are a response to what young children are feeling inside and the and the experiences that they're having. In terms of flight, you know, I've seen situations where young people have just got up and, and walked away or absconded because it's just too much for them. And obviously you've got your risk assessments and you put those into place to make sure that you're supporting them 100% there. And I mean, I've mentioned flop uh, earlier on and and I think we've we've covered friend and freeze as well with examples of, 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 you know, in terms of when you're in situations, you, you freeze completely because you can't deal with what's happening around you so yeah i have i have seen some lots of responses but as i say you can get to a stage where you can help children to regulate and and feel that they can manage these situations better when they come along thank you for
0: sharing debbie so uh, very intense environments i imagine and Andy, do we see these responses in mainstream settings as well?
2: Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, mean, the type of provision that Debbie's talking about, um, specialist provisions for children um, that have gone through trauma or children that are in residential care, it's probably much more frequent in those environments. But we absolutely do get it in mainstream because there's a very, very high chance that at some point those children have been educated in a mainstream classroom And as a result of maybe some of the behaviours they've displayed there, they've moved into that specialist provision. So we we will see that um, exhibited at some points in our career. And we need to be able to recognise those signs and and support those children to feel as safe as they possibly can do. And I guess we keep coming back to that point that unless we get the children feeling safe and secure, then they're never going to learn. They're never going to make academic progress. So it's fundamental, really, that we focus on this.
0: back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs again aren't we and and making sure that they all feel psychologically safe so uh, yeah um, very very interesting and um, I particularly think those tips and strategies around grounding is is great for us to sort of start to explore and, and support with. So thank you both for joining us today. Next week we will be focusing in on, again on trauma-informed practice, but the awareness of attachment theory and considering how an understanding of this could inform school and teacher approaches. Connex Academy is proud to be an, a DFE-approved provider of the Senior Mental Health Lead training. And you can find out more about this and how to access your grant to fund it by visiting the connects academycom website and searching Senior Mental Health Lead. We hope you found these discussions useful and seek support if you need to. Take care, bye-bye.